Welcome to Rebel High Command Cast, an Imperial Assault podcast for 2022 and beyond. This podcast is hosted by the IA Command YouTube channel and sponsored by listeners like you through Patreon. If you want to support the channel, make sure and the, the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash IA Command to help support the channel. This is episode, technically episode number eight. I am your host, TV Boy, aka Noah, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Second Flock, aka Wesley. Wesley, welcome back. Hello, it's been quite a long time since we've recorded, isn't that right? Well, if we were on video, people might notice we're wearing the same clothes as the last episode and wonder what's <laughs> going on. But thankfully, we're not on video. Um, but yeah, And um, we do do our laundry. <laughs> and we do do that. Um, so it's actually still November 20th we're recording this. Um, I'm actually going to be going on vacation for the week of and the week after Thanksgiving. And, but I wanted to make sure you guys, the listeners, have something to listen to while I'm gone, even if I can't record. So I am doing a second episode recording, and Wesley has graciously offered his time, extra time this weekend, to do another episode with me. So this is kind of a bonus episode. Um, we're not going to be doing the like segments that we usually do, because obviously I, I read all of them in the last episode, and they would be the same. So it's not going to be, this is not going to be a temp temporally contemporary that's probably not the right way to say that but uh this it's is a bonus episode we're in the past uh this is the past yeah. for all of you <laughs> but so there's nothing new to report i might put a community updates in here uh but i might also not so we'll just see what happens hi robo tv boy here to give you the community updates for the week of november 28th on december 3rd at 5 p.m gmt which is 9 a.m pacific time there will be a vassal tournament with special rules. Each player's army can and must include a force user with a different faction than their army's faction. That figure's faction becomes the same faction as the player's army, and can bring any attachments that list that figure's name as a requirement, ignoring faction requirements, such as driven by hatred. That figure will also lose and gain traits based on the army's faction. Check out the link in the description for more details and for the link to sign up. There will also be free vassal tournaments for regular IACP without any special extra rules happening on December 10th and December 17th. These will be three round tournaments and the top player from each tournament will play off against each other to win the grand prize of a full set of printed Season 7 deployment cards. Stay tuned to IA-ContinuityProject.com for further details about these events and how to sign up. Also be aware that we are still taking sign-ups for our beginner vassal league for any new or rusty players that want to play against other players of a similar skill level. Once we have four players signed up we'll start the league. Link in the video description for how to sign up. And now back to the show. Um, so for this episode, I thought it would be interesting to talk a little about, a bit more about campaign. Because I, we have said in the past that we do want this to be a kind of all-encompassing Imperial Assault podcast which means talking about not just about skirmish not just about icp but about campaign as well because you know i've heard i've heard some people like to play campaign i guess yeah yeah some people you know i don't know those kinds of people but a, uh... a small <laughs> section of the community <laughs> yeah i think if we all know uh it might be kind of flip of the script right there so let's. The main topic for today is going to be an interesting one, one that I think not a lot of people have talked about in content, but has been a ongoing discussion in the community. If you look at like forums and social media, social networks and stuff, and that is the concept of playing the campaign either 
as a competitive game, so a winner, like a zero-sum game or winner-takes-all, or as a narrative-driven game, or as a like, uh, f- like a flavorful game of like dungeon crawling, and it's all fun and playing as the DM is what you usually see it labeled as uh, for the imperial player. Is like, it's, you shouldn't be so competitive about it. It's more of a, it's more of a role-playing thing, and you should play it as a DM and not try so hard to win, but try to challenge your rebels, that kind of thing. I think that's the two main kind of sides of the coin of campaign that is that we uh, are going to discuss today. Right. Right. It's a very interesting one. So I, I'm also glad to have you for this one, Wesley, because I think you are definitely playing more campaign than I am these days. I haven't really played a full um, multiplayer campaign in years at this point, uh, but I did play a lot of them, so I, I'm pretty knowledgeable on this topic, but I think you're going to have more um, relatively newer experiences in this regard. Yeah. Yeah, 100% agree there. So let's start off. How how do you play your campaigns? Wesley, do you, do you play as the Empire or do you only play as Rebels? I, I do both. I think I tend towards Empire, but I uh, will also take the Rebel seat to let someone else play the Empire. So when you're playing as the Empire, how do you go about like competing with your rebel players? Are you are you competing with them or are you just kind of their guide through this wonderful experience that is the campaign? Right. So more recently it's it's actually almost always been the competing route trying to defeat them, but uh it always starts with me assessing the group and deciding, you know, is this the group that wants to play to win? Do they want punches to be pulled? Do they want, you know, the interesting mechanics and to go up against everything that the Empire has? Or is this the group that wants to throw some dice, kill some monsters, you know, interact with some terminals, and most of the time come out as the heroes of the day? Uh, Because I have played a lot of D&D in the past as a dungeon master, and, you know, I love both sides of that. You know, optimizing all these units, the, the skirmish side player in me, but also the campaign player that uh you know the dnd the dungeon master that wants to see the players have a good time even if that means i'm not necessarily winning so i feel out the enemy and uh figure out how to play from there yeah and i think in relation to like dungeons and dragons i don't play dungeons and dragons but i've read a bit about it and i've seen this topic come up in dungeons and dragons discussions of do you fudge your roles as the dm for your players and uh if you know if they make that critical fail and you know it would probably ruin their day, do you fudge? Do you fudge the roll behind the screen and and give them a good time, or do you do you play by the hard dice and your players' choices are what decided their fate? Uh, is kind of the similar debate in D and D, I think, to compare yeah. this to, um, because it's kind of the same thing and not in that you're fudging roll. You can't do that in Imperial Assault, but. Like, are you pulling your punches? Like you said, are you maybe not deploying that? extra group of stormtroopers that you could have legitimately afforded to because you know that you know it would overwhelm your rebels or maybe not attacking that uh unwounded rebel to wound them and instead like throwing away your attack at something else uh it's sometimes it's as simple as you know if you put one enemy in the way uh your opponent's gonna have to spend an extra action to get to the objective and you just decide to not do that, and they manage to get there with just enough points. 
Yeah, and that that comes down to you have that's the problem with doing that, right? With pulling punches is you have mm-hmm. to do it in a way that your rebels don't catch on to what you're doing because if they find out you're doing it, it can really like I think it can really hurt the experience. Yeah, that's that's another part. So I guess there's kind of three levels of uh, play here and how competitive you are. There is the newer group of players that is very casual, and you are if you're a more competitive player and you're you know playing skirmish matches, you kind of already know enough to play all of these mind games in your head and uh, optimizations in your head and make those fudges, and they're very likely not going to find out that you've done that. Then there is the the players that have played for a little while, or you know they play other board games a lot, and they know the rules, but they don't want to get frustrated and have a good time. I think these are the trickiest to balance for, uh, and sometimes it's it's more about like not revealing certain hidden information that you could have chosen to, uh, so that they'll never have a way to know that you pulled any punches on them. And then there's the hardcore group, and that's the group that. typically wants you to play your hardest to beat them. Yeah, so I think the example you gave of, like, you could block the door, but instead you just kind of put it in a random spot. Like, I think that's a great way to pull punches without making it obvious that you're doing so. I think some of the ways I described were, like, you could win the game by... you, You could clearly win the game by defeating that final unwounded figure, but instead you attack their other their wounded figure instead. Like that kind of stuff becomes pretty obvious. So I think there's there's like some skill you have to do. Now I think not deploying optimally is probably another good way because that's hidden information. So your your rebels are not gonna know that you had that like perfect card in your hand to deploy as long as you didn't tip your hand early. Um right. or even if you did, like they're often not gonna be thinking about what's in your hand because Campaign players uh, just don't really think that way. That's more of a skirmish thing about thinking what's in your opponent's hand that based on information you've been given. So that's another good way to do it. Um, I think what you said about assessing your players is really good, uh, assessing your group. So for mm-hmm. me, I'll, sell, I'll say what I did personally when I was still running campaigns back in like, I don't know, what was it, like 2016 through 2018, or 2017, um, <clears throat> is I would, I, I am a competitive player. I am a, I'm actually, well, I don't want to get into this too soon, but I, I like to, I like to compete. I like to make sure that people know that like, I know how to play the game and that I'm not a pushover. It's just yeah. part of my personality. So I will always start off at my strongest, like just playing as optimally, optimally as I can uh, assuming that most of the people I played with, like they were coming in from other games, similar miniatures type games. So I'm like, these are not like doe-eyed, fresh newbies, like fresh into the gaming scene. These are, this is just a new game. This game in particular is new to them. So I would bring my A game and whatever I was doing. And then that would be just for like the first mission. And if I could see, tell that like, okay, not only is are they struggling with learning the rules or learning how it works, they're also having a really hard time with the strategy, uh, like the innate strategy of the game, like things that are not tied to specific rules knowledge, but are tied to like just understanding how a positional-based miniatures game works uh, and how you're supposed to 
you do your tactics and a dungeon crawler as well. Um, and I'd be like, okay, they're not up to the challenge here. I, I'm going to crush them too hard if I do this and I don't want to hurt, crush their spirit. So then I, what I would usually do is I would like put some kind of restrictions on myself to make it more challenging so that I don't necessarily have to like play suboptimally or so I, that I can find the, the optimal plays within this tighter restriction. Like it's basically like a handicap uh, yeah. for those that know about that kind of thing. And I found that was fun. And then also teaching them along the way. That was another good thing is like, you know, you don't have to just throw them in the water and, and hope they can swim. Like you're trying to teach them and you, and you can do it subtly too of like, by the way, guys, keep in mind, there is a, t- a time limit and you don't win by killing all the figures on the table, that kind of thing. So, yeah. And and during the upgrade stages, that's really important too. I found like because upgrades, especially for the rebels, like if they pick the wrong upgrades, they are gonna be really hosed later in the campaign. So I was often just as involved as the rebels were during the upgrade stage, and I would tell them like, you know, I, I'm trying to help you guys. I don't wanna, I don't wanna see you guys struggling because of this. So I'm helping, like, because that's something. It's like, oh, are you just telling us what to pick because you know it's bad, or you know, some people are like that. Yeah. Um, so I would be involved with that and be like, Hey, like, th- I know this has been really good in my campaign in the past. When I use it as a rebel, you should think about taking that or etc. Um, so that's kind of how I balance things myself. Uh, I think it's going to come down to knowing who you are, like as a player. And I think like knowing your player psychographic profile is really helpful in that for people that don't know it's a thing that comes from um, magic the gathering is something their marketing team came up with which is each uh player in a game they have they have three but there's two main ones for this one which is uh timmy and spike so timmy is the player that is doesn't care so much about winning or being like proving their skill they're more about having a good experience having a fun experience finding novel experiences like just being entertained uh, by whatever's happening in the game. And then you have Spike, who wants to prove that they have a mastery, that they are good at what they're doing. Uh, they are interested in winning, but also interested in proving mastery, uh, is my understanding of those two profiles. So knowing where you fall on that spectrum is really important. You have to ask yourself, like, am I a competitive person that I care really a lot about winning? Or am I more on the side of, like, I'm just having fun, I want to have fun, and I want these players to have fun as well. And you kind of have to know your players too, right? Cause if yeah. they're, <coughs> although, I mean, I know I'm rambling here. I'll give you a, sec- a chance here in a second. I know. Uh, but you have to know if your players are spikes, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's correct to play spiky. Um, Cause you might actually frustrate their spiky sensibilities by them losing a lot. You might have to hold their hand a little bit and then get them into the game so they can start playing optimally. And then you can bust out your super sweet Imperial combo. Um, But if they're Timmy's, you kind of just want to play it as a GM. (laughs) It's a dungeon master. (laughs) Unfortunately, and then you have to think, well, maybe should I find another group that I want to play this with if I want to play Spikey? (laughs) Or you should probably be playing Skirmish, (laughs) honestly. Yeah. I, understand. I think the funnest is when you have a group of Timmies and then you just play as a GM. Uh, for me, 
because that is when you don't have the rebels spending 20 minutes to take one activation. Interesting. Because that's what I've seen a lot lately in the more, you know, we're, we're all playing to the competitive high standard. They're staying there and agonizing over every move. And I'm like, guys, I'd rather, in my head, I'm sometimes just like, you know, it's kind of getting late. I'd rather just lose and be able to put this cool figure on the board and shoot you a few times and watch it die. <laughs> um, sometimes I feel like that. Other times it is fun to have the, you know, the full competitive experience to see who can come out on top with the asynchronous gameplay. So I tend to prefer both. I think the third type of Magic the Gathering player you mentioned with that profile was a Johnny. Mm -hmm. And I guess those are the ones that like to... They like to come up with their own optimal combos. They like to build new meta types. Uh, I think the idea was like a, a spike would net deck, but they really care about optimizing their own you know, choices in the game with that deck. And then the Johnny's the guy that likes to come up with their own list that is a really good combo, whether or not they can execute it. And that's how I see myself in Skirmish, is I want to come up with my own list that are really cool. And then I don't necessarily win with them. Yeah, in my experience, Johnny's have kind of been the worst players to play against as Rebels, like if they're in the Rebel team. They tend to kind of throw a wrench in things, um, being that Johnny's tend not to be super good team players. Uh, they're more worried about what their stuff does and how to maximize their own personal experience versus the team. And also, like, when you're trying to do create cool combos, those combos cost credits in as a rebel team, and so you, they tend to... Yeah. Johnny's tend to turn into munchkins, in my experience. Um, so if you're on a rebel team and you know you're a Johnny, you might want to self-check, self-regulate that if you can. Um, yeah. And I think skirmish, uh, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll defend myself here, though. That's why I think that's why I like playing the Imperials, so I get a full side to myself to come up with all that. Uh, but when I am a rebel, I will usually take a back seat and kind of let everyone else do what they want to do and, you know, pick up where there's a little extra... Uh, like last time, I think I wound up playing Cotoon through a full campaign, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to give out tokens no matter what. You gave me, I think I took one 400, 400 credit item throughout the whole campaign, and then the last mission gave it to the DPS guy. And, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll just stay here, do my thing, and let's hope we all have a good time. I'll be a little more Timmy when I'm on the team playing side. Yeah, I was just about to say, if you're a Johnny, you either want, might want to try skirmish, or I was gonna, I was just about to say, you might want to play as the Empire side, like maybe talk to your Imperial player and be like, hey, I'm not, especially if you're not having fun, if you're getting bored because you're trying to be nice and be a team player, but then that means you're not really getting your chance in the spotlight that I think Johnny's really crave. Like, being able to play as the Imperial player, like you said, you have full control over everything on that side of the table, and you can set up these cool either combos or maybe thematic setups or whatever is, like, cool to you, and you don't have to worry about saving resources for the rest of your teammates to have fun with what they're doing. Yeah. One of the last campaigns I ran, I was with a group of personal friends who play a lot of board games together, but... I'm. I would say that it was one Timmy, one Johnny, and one Spike, 
and I feel like there was no way to uh, completely please everyone. Yeah, that's that's rough. Um, probably because the Spike is frustrated that everybody's not doing the correct thing, and the Johnny's frustrated oh, yeah. that the Spike won't leave them alone and let them do their thing, and the Timmy's frustrated that everybody's fighting and that they're not you're not being cohesive as a Rebel Strike team. That's you know. So that's, yeah, that sounds interesting and rough. And I think that's why it's good for people to just, like, find out about those psychographic profiles and figure out what type you are. And then that way you know, like, what is fun for you in a game and also how to check when something is not fun for you and, and how to, like, kind of fix it or, or fix your attitude about it. Yeah. And then the, the crazy thing, though, is that I would beg, like, okay, listen, Mr. Johnny, uh, why don't you take the Imperial slot for the next campaign? I'll show you all the ropes. You can have a whole side to yourself and optimize everything. And, you know, I like to be Johnny, but I can kind of mesh with anything, and I'll just play with the team because I love with this game, and we'll work together. And he's like, no, nah, I don't want to manage all that. I just want to manage everything on the hero side over here. That's funny. Like that would have been the perfect solution. Yeah, I th I think that was good. I did that actually from one of my campaigns, and thinking back on it, I never really thought about it as a Johnny Timmy Spike. But thinking about this player, this player like they joined the campaign, but they traditionally like they I got them from X Wing miniatures, and mm -hmm. he like always plays Empire, and he's like a huge Empire fanatic, and he like dresses up in like Imperial cosplay when he goes to tournaments he's got like an <laughs> officer's outfit and a hat with a big imperial uh symbol on the shoulder and he was not having fun playing as the rebels both because i think because he didn't really want to be rebels but also because he got stuck playing Soska uh as a oh my god so oh. he was stuck as a support and he had to just he was basically the mule of the team he had to open all the doors interact with all the terminals and he never got to kill anything or like do anything interesting or give out or he was giving out device tokens to people to make them better. So I think that was really, now that I think about it, I think he was totally a Johnny. Like that really, that is totally a Johnny thing of like, he's always expressing himself through his gameplay. And I think that was really hard for him to be a Johnny that was like trying to be a team player and trying to like, sacrifice for the better of the group and i did i totally told i said hey i noticed you're not really having fun and i know you wanted you i think you would be happier actually playing as the imperial side and i'll just set it all up for you and then when we sit down here's the cards here's the mission go ahead and and you play as the imperials and he had a i think he had a much better time after that and and it's funny to think back on it in the in the framing of timmy johnny and spike because i think he was definitely a johnny now that i think about it yeah. Yeah, I think for my one particular group, it's, uh, you know, I think Frosthaven's going to deliver pretty soon, so mm. we got a different game to play with them. That's the sequel to Gloomhaven? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I have one more thing to say about Spikes. Because um, I was going to say, you had mentioned analysis paralysis with Timmy's. And I've actually had the opposite experience, which it doesn't make your, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just 
This is some anecdotal well, stuff. I don't think that's what I mentioned. Analysis paralysis. Oh, what did what did you say about analysis paralysis? Well, I was saying that uh, with more competitive groups, they were taking longer to take their turns. Oh, okay. It's because they were analyzing everything. It's not that they were paralyzed. It's that they were like, if we don't do it this way, we might all lose as a team, and they would have a twenty-minute debate over you know whether to take the one movement point left or right, and it could have made a big difference. Okay, so then it I misheard you. Justified. It just takes a long time to play that way. Okay, yeah, I misheard you because then I totally agree. That's what I was going to say. Is in my experience, the spikier players tend to have take longer with their turns compared to the Timmies who are just like, oh, I get to go. Okay, I'm going to move here and shoot that, and I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah. So I think that is. Hmm. I thought this would be a more meaty topic, but (laughs) (laughs) trying to think if there's anything else to say about DMing versus competing. Um, I I will say, here's what I'll say. I think a lot of people come at this discussion with the mindset of campaign is not balanced and it cannot be a satisfying competitive endeavor. Um, I've heard of that a lot on like forums and stuff from people, whenever somebody posts like, this game feels unbalanced, it was our first campaign and we didn't know the rules. Uh, somebody always comes back and says like, oh, you can't play it competitively. It's, you gotta play it as a GM, buddy. You gotta, you gotta not compete. It's not competitive. And I think that's not true. I think it's, I think it's less competitively viable than skirmish for sure. I think like if you really want a truly balanced or close to as close as possible to balanced experience in Imperial Assault, a competitive ex- experience in Imperial Assault, you should be playing Skirmish. Now, but I understand that that's not always an option for people. People have playgroups that maybe don't want to play a 1v1 game mode and they all just want to play the, you know, 1v4 game mode, uh, but maybe they don't like the um, co op nature of the app and they do like that kind of head-to-head which i would say is i think i think it's true i think the playing against an actual human is way more satisfying than playing against a computer you just get that that rush of like you know that there is a a presence a conscious presence behind what's happening on the table that you are trying to outmaneuver it's just way more fun in my opinion Um, i I would at least say for that that that's more based on the game, I think. Like Imperial Assault was built for that, mm. so it does work better that way than the computer solutions we've seen. But you have other games like Gloomhaven that, you know, are built around a system that's meant for that AI to do the same thing every single time, and the numbers are kind of built around that. And it's not until you get to the super high levels that you start to feel like, you know, you wish you had a different kind of opponent. Well, you do kind so of get there eventually, based. right? Kind of, sort of, you know, if you, uh, if you're trying to 100% everything and you get to the highest level and you spent way more time than the developer ever thought that a same table of people would on the game, then yeah, you kind of start to get there a little bit, but it's like the, there's always a good amount of difficulty with that game until you get to like, you know, levels eight, nine out of nine. Yeah, and I think it does come back to Timmy versus Spike. I think Timmy's will enjoy the experience, whether it's a human 
pulling the strings or if it's just a computer making things happen. It's, as long as the experience is fun, it's fine. And then I think a spikier player will miss that human presence on the other side to prove them, to test their metal against um, and eventually want to play against a human. I, I, I should say I'm actually, I am a Timmy and a Spike. I consider, like, I, I find myself pretty much equally drawn between those two and I have no really Johnny inclinations. Um, but that spikiness does come out in me. And I was going to say that competitive campaign can be fun. Uh, if both sides are equal and you don't have like some of the broken stuff in campaign, which I actually want to make a video about like some of the brokenness in campaign that you should take out of your campaign games. Cause Ooh, it can, that's a good one. can be broken. There's some stuff in campaign that is pretty busted and really just shouldn't be played at all. <laughs> uh, okay, and that... if you wanted to make like a, let's say an episode of this about it and then later condense it to like a, a video guide, that would be a good idea. Yeah. I was thinking just a list There's like, these cards you should not play in campaign. <laughs> you should take these cards out of your campaign box, put them in another box, and never touch it until you are going to sell your box. <laughs> You're sell your collection. Yeah, I feel like reason. hired guns go there. Ooh, that's a hot take. That's a hot one. I thought about them. They're not currently on my list, but that is an interesting one. I mean, I don't know. Especially after I was trying to play test your one game and uh, got that pin them down card to work with them. That was kind of brutal. Now that one is on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Hired guns are S tier for sure, but I didn't. I don't have them on my like. This will ruin your game if you play it list. Mm -hmm. Sneak sneak peek on that. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, so if you don't have if you don't have those specific cards that do break the game and kind of ruin the experience, like I think it can be. Once the rebels. Once your rebel players are like have had one campaign under their belt, and they have figured out like how to play correctly, and what are the good upgrades and stuff, like they can be the rebels can be really challenging to play against as the imperial player. Um, and so I think there is a a rewarding experience there if you're willing to a cultivate your group so that you have the right people that are interested in playing the game the way you want to play it, uh, and then be coaching and growing those players to be, you know, to be uh, competent at the game and doing it in a way that doesn't crush their spirit. <laughs> yeah. As I, I think I sometimes did in my campaigns. <laughs> you mentioned uh, trying to... I think I just lost the train of thought there. Uh oh, but I'll tell you if it comes back. Um, was it something I said this during this recording? Yeah, um, it was something about uh, oh, oh yeah, okay. You mentioned earlier trying to put restrictions on yourself and trying to play optimally within those restrictions. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing I've noticed in my experience, the groups that have had a harder time meshing tend to burn out well before like a 12 mission campaign like i've had a group quit like 10 11 missions in uh out of like 13 or 14 and yeah. when i recently did heart of the empire with the one of the two times i did it with a newer group and i was playing the empire you know they were kind of just showing up to get their butts handed to them every week uh 
about halfway through the campaign when they were like one and three and it quickly became a one and seven campaign. And I think you can kind of fix both of those for some groups. I think from what I've seen, I've never played a full mini campaign, but I think they kind of give the rebels more rewards and more setup and the Imperial less so. And they're also only four missions long. And I feel like that might be a fix to some of those issues where the groups have a harder time meshing. Is you give them more resources, so you use the Empire are working with less. And it's expediated, so they get more upgrades each mission they complete. And it's only about four missions, which is like four sessions. And the whole thing's decided. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I think mini campaigns are the best way to play campaign. Um, I think the shorter the campaign, the better. I think 10 missions is way too long for a campaign with the same characters and the same, all the same setup. Like I got so bored <laughs> doing, I think I got really lucky because my first campaign experience, I came in like halfway through the core campaign to replace somebody who quit their campaign. And because of that, you know, I skipped the first three or four missions. And so I think it was like the perfect length of like a six mission campaign uh, and it was great, and I did not get burned out at all. And I think the mini yeah. campaigns are good. I think the extended mini campaigns are really good. So the um, there's an option to do a seven mission Tyrants of Lothal uh, and a five mission Bestman Gambit, and then Heart of the Empire is eight missions. So that's really good too. Um, I think Jabba's Realm is a really good starting campaign as well, even though it's a full-length campaign. I find that Jabba's Realm's missions are really balanced, and also they just kind of struck this perfect chord with, like, getting rid of all the things that were annoying in the core campaign, like, very few time limits, um, a lot less, like, spending a full action to interact with something. Like, it just feels like they really hit their stride with their design in, in Jabba's Realm. Right. Um, I think the core campaign is probably the worst campaign to introduce somebody to the game. Yeah, I I wouldn't say the worst, but maybe it's something you want to start because I do think that first mission is a really cool one in the core campaign. Aftermath is perfection. Like, yeah, don't get oh, me wrong yeah. there. I think Aftermath is the perfect mission, especially for the introduction mission. But it falls off hard, and a lot of the missions after that i mean a new threat is notorious um fly solo is ridiculously hard for the rebels um i think i dodged a lot of those <laughs> in my first campaign so i like god if i had had to play a new threat or fly solo i actually probably need a run through of the core campaign again because it's been so long that i don't know those missions very well uh except aftermath Aftermath is always the one you want to start. It's the one you, you know, it's simple enough to memorize pretty easily once you know what's going on. Yeah, Under Siege is good too. That was a good mission. Um, I've heard a lot of people say like, you should just skip a new threat if it's somebody's first campaign, and just always go into Under Siege because not only is it more balanced, it's also got way more cool factor as a mission. Um, that's the one where mm. you're like the rebels are trying to defend this base from a Imperial Invasion. Mm. So that one's really cool. Um, Fly Solo is the one with like Fly, with Han Solo 
like popping out of a jail cell or something. Um, not a jail cell, like a it's the one with IG88, and he comes out and he's got like ten damage on him or something when he pops out. It's ridiculous. Uh, anyway, um, go ahead. Yeah, I, I would just say, you know, if you run out of mini campaigns, uh, I think if you look up Noah's or TV Boy's uh, Edge of Oblivion, that's like an extra mini campaign that exists yep. using existing missions in the game. Yep. I'm most of the way through that, and I've been doing that solo, but that's been a pretty fun one. Yep, that one's good. And that, that one uses, like you said, the official missions, so it's not based on trying to make any new missions, which is really hard. Yep. Um... Yeah, so I think we kind of got through that of like what it means to play competitive campaign competitively. It is viable, but you gotta you gotta check with your players. You gotta check with yourself what is appropriate for your group. And you maybe if find it's the first mission that is willing to play the way that the rebels need him to play. Yeah, I mean the the campaign starts with the imperial player, right? That's like the person usually who owns the box. Yeah. Um. But you you gotta yeah and usually if it's the rebels first campaign you're probably not gonna be doing a competitive campaign uh, at least for the f first half of the missions you're gonna have to give them a few wins you know give give them some softballs figure out how to pull punches without showing that you're pulling your punches like you mentioned <laughs> Wesley. Um, and then uh, hopefully you can cultivate a good group, and then you start really duking it out, or you just have a really nice narrative experience. Oh, I forgot. There's one more thing I wanted to mention. If you are going to be doing the like DM narrative thing, you really have to lean into the flavor text in the campaign. And yeah. a lot of people, I think, don't realize this, but those like mission cards that come with the campaign, like especially the ones for the like the core missions. No, not, I'm not talking about just the side mission ones, but there's there's cards for the core missions too. Those have like really critical story information on them that I think if you don't read those out to your players, you're they're actually going to be pretty lost in terms of the story. And then at that point it's like what's the point of doing this like narrative campaign <clears throat> if you're not even going to give them the whole story or they're confused and lost about what's going on. So I know I haven't done the, the narrative side of players that have been that invested into it lately, but I will say that when you have a longer campaign with all these side missions, uh, what'll happen, I see, is that they get to, you know, story mission number three, and it's like six missions into the campaign. And I'm like, yeah, now you're going to storm the base, and this is, you know, you getting revenge after your friend died in mission two. And they're, the players are kind of like, wait, what are we doing? Why are we doing this again? Yep. We were just on Tatooine a few minutes ago helping, you know, helping some Bantha Rider do something else unrelated to all this. We're on Hoth now. And I can find I find that the side missions sometimes take players out of the story because it's several hours of something unrelated to the bits of story you want them to pick up on. Yeah, and, and that's another reason why I think mini campaigns are really good is you don't have that break in the story it's like okay last week this is what you guys are doing remember okay now this week we're following up on that going this doing this and then each time and it's not like oh we had the last story mission like four weeks ago because we had two side missions back to back and why are we here <laughs> but um, yeah. those story mission cards give you a lot of that context and if you just read those to the players like 
it helps a lot in my experience. Yeah. 100% agree. All right. Well, do you want to wrap it up here? Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, no, I don't think I do. Covered pretty thing very thoroughly. We've uh, squeezed a good 40 minutes out of this we, topic. We did. <laughs> we got a good 40 <laughs> minutes out of this topic. And uh, hopefully that's entertaining for everybody. And uh, I should be back making recording new episodes with uh, Wesley uh, after the first week of December. So hopefully we'll have some more new stuff to talk about. And we'll have... Uh, have some discussions to be had about Imperial Assault. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Wesley, you have a YouTube channel you want to plug? I do, uh, and I usually plug that. But this time, I would like to just plug uh, the IACP Discord, specifically uh, because if you're looking for a group to find campaigns games with online, we do have a campaign play text channel, and... It's active enough that we get campaigns going, um, you know, all the time. And it's usually one going on at a time, but if we get enough players, we could potentially see, you know, two groups floating around this this channel all at once. Uh, so if you're looking to play a campaign with new people online, whether you want to be a Timmy or you want to be an Empire or you want to be a Johnny or a Spike, head over to Campaign Play on the Imperial Assault Continuity Project Discord and just reach out. Everyone's really friendly. Yeah, totally. All right, thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Stay frosty.